I thought I'd start with something different. And so this morning, first of all, I'm going to show you a story. and mistakes and misplaced trust. Hey! Some of the pain was your own doing. Some of the pain um. was caused by others it's okay. who took advantage of you. Do whatever you want. I think I like the red. What is that? And if know. you find yourself you rejected or lost, know there is something better. Stop. Let go of me. When you feel alone, listen for my voice. You are not alone. Mom.
Never run too far, or shout too loud, or be gone so long that you can't find your way home. I've titled my message this morning, Welcome Home. I want to use a story from the Gospel of Luke, as some of you may have guessed, often known as the prodigal son. And it starts in Luke 15, chapter 11, verse 11, sorry. And it says, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. And immediately, you notice that Jesus has a point, but we don't know what it is. And he's using this story to illustrate it further. So sometimes it's good to find out what the point that Jesus is trying to make is. So perhaps we should back up a bit. Let's look in in verse 3. And it says, so Jesus told them this story. Hang on a bit. He's still telling stories. It says so. That so if, he, if it says so he told them a story, there's something still further back that he's trying to get a point across with. So let's back up to verse 1. Luke 15 verse 1. And it says, Tax collectors and other notorious sinners. I won't comment on that. Often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people and even eating with them. So now we've got to the bottom of it. This is is the reason for the parables that Jesus, the stories that Jesus is about to tell. He is trying to get across to people how he feels about people who sin. Who knows somebody who sins? Don't be ashamed to admit it. In fact, who sins? So I think this is important because I think there's a message here in, for us in how does Jesus think of us? What value does he put on us? Because 
see, the interesting thing is that salvation doesn't always affect sin. Who noticed that when they got saved, that their desire to sin vanished? I want to meet you. Because <laughs> let me tell you, I, I didn't find that accepting Jesus into my heart actually made it impossible to sin. One of the biggest disappointments of my life. That even with Jesus with us, even with the Holy Spirit in us, we can still sin. And we do, often on a fairly regular basis. And so... What does Jesus say about sinners? What does Jesus say about us? Well, let's look back in verse 3. What's this story that he's going to tell? So Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go and search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he's found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. And when he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbours, saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. If he was in Australia, he'd say, Let's put it on the barbecue. And... <laughs> but perhaps not. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. And then he got it, goes on in verse 8 to tell another story. He says, Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbours and say, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost coin. And in the same way, there is... Rejoicing, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. So we know he's interested in sheep, and we know he's interested in coins. But what about people? So you see, this is, this is where he gets to the good bit. In verse 11, he says to illustrate the point further. And if you've got your Bibles with you, it's probably good to read this because I'm going to read this, this whole story. So you're going to get a, a good bit of scripture here. It says, A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. Lovely fellow. So the father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. Those two words just conjure up all sorts of things. Wild living. And about the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here am I dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the sorry 
I've got lost. So he returned home to his father. And while he was a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger, sandals for his feet, and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a new feast, with a feast, for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Don't you love little sentences like that? He got all this preparation and then suddenly it says, so the party began. Because it wasn't just a little party. In fact, it was so loud that the older son was out in the fields working and when he got home he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fatted calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. I mean, there's a party and he wouldn't go in. I always wonder about the older brother. His father came out and begged, but he replied, All these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And in all that time you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. And yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, Look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost but now is found. The key point I want to draw to your attention this morning. In in all three of these stories, the immediate reaction of the person who has recovered what is lost is rejoicing. They are ecstatic about what they have found. Now, whether you'd actually say it to a coin or even a sheep, the overwhelming message in what Jesus is getting across here can be summed up as, Welcome home. There's such a passion and a joy and a celebration in that sentiment that like the video I started with, it should bring a tear to our eyes because that's the passion that Jesus is trying to get across to people in these stories. Now the sad part about it is that many people who are lost, who like the prodigal son, are far away from God in a distant land Never hear the message, welcome home. In fact, the last thing they would expect in church is a welcome. They're more likely to expect condemnation of their beliefs, their lifestyle, and their sin. And to be fair, that's not always straight from people. But there's a belief that God himself is judging and accusing them which is actually even pervasive inside the church. I'm willing to bet there are people here today who call themselves Christians who still do not think they are worthy to have a relationship with Jesus. They hold him at arm's length. They can see God, but often they don't hear God. They know he's there, but they don't want him any closer. 
They believe their sins and their shortcomings are so terrible. And that even though in their head they know that Jesus will forgive anything, they think they're the exception that proves the rule, that their sin is the one that God won't forgive. They keep doing their sins, so God surely must run out of patience. They struggle with their life, so surely God tosses them on the scrap heap and says, well, I've tried, but you're not worth it. And so they hold God at arm's length. They can see him, they, they worship him, they pray to him. But their relationship is still distant. Jesus' first words when people come to him are always, welcome home. Let me give you three encouragements today to take home with you. The first one is a question we often ask ourselves, what does it cost? Because we get told in life, there's no such thing as a free lunch. There's no such thing as free salvation. And we get this from an early age because when we embark on something new, who knows that there's always fear and uncertainty. I mean, walking inside a church, if you're unsaved, must be one of the bravest things that people can do. Because the church is full of people, at least, and this was my experience when I walked in, you imagine the church is full of people who know what they're doing. And you are the only person here who has no idea what's going on. Now, the first day I turned up to church, I didn't actually know that six other people had turned up to church that day and they were all feeling exactly the same as me. We were all looking around thinking, I don't know what's going on here, but uh, I'm just going to sit here and copy what other people do and try and stay out of trouble. Because I didn't know what was going on. And the thing is, people familiar with the environment take advantage of that. And what, do I, what do I mean by that? Who, 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 who remembers the transition from primary school to high school? Even, even vaguely. Now, these days, with all the, all the laws and regulations in place, this probably doesn't happen. But I can remember being told in grade seven, in the last term before we went to high school the next year, that I was probably guaranteed that at some stage in the first couple of weeks, I was going to get my head flushed down the toilet. Because that's what happened to all new people who came to the school. That there was this initiation ritual that as a, as a, as a, as a fresh new face, you, you, got, you got stuffed down a loo and flushed. Because that, that was just how they treated new people. It made me feel very welcome. And let, let me just say, I never got my head flushed down the toilet. But I spent the first month at school frightened that somebody was going to come up and drag me into the, the, the toilets and, and flush my head. Because that, that, it was sort of like an initiation thing. The people sort of had gone through that, wanted to make sure that they, they could lord it over you. You, you, were, you were nothing. And, and they took advantage of it. I remember Vicky telling me that in, in year 12, they put the boys and the girls in different rooms and they talked to them about the realities of life at university. And what horrified me was that basically... A, a, they got a, a uni student to come in who had, I think she was a third year, so she'd been at uni three years. She said, basically, at the end of term one, all you girls would have lost your virginity because university is a hotbed of sex and corruption and depravity. So just get used to it. I mean, what, what a great uh, um, message of any sort um, to actually let people know that you know, the next stage of their life was going to be fraught with um, 
all sorts of stuff. That, that they, basically, they were basically told they had no control over this. And it's a thing, it's called hazing. It's a way of making new people feel small and people who know what's going on feel big. And you would think that the church is the last place that sort of thing would happen. And I would bloody well hope so. But the trouble is, this whole idea of paying the price is pervasive in our society. Once you've gone through something, once you've done something that's turned out not to be as bad as you thought, you don't want to tell other people that because you want them to go through the same stuff you went through. And there's, there's, there's a whole culture that insists that people have to pay the price the same as you did. Whereas really, once we've been through something, the, our first reaction would be to turn around and say, hey, it's not as bad as you were told. You don't have to do this stuff. Do, do that instead. This is, we should be guiding people and helping people. And in church, I think that most of the time, that's what we try to do. But sometimes we can be just as bad subconsciously. I mean, people talk to new people about how when the Holy Spirit entered their lives, they had to quit smoking, drinking, doing drugs, whatever it was, because something happened to them and it changed them. And it's, and it's great. And if that happened to you, congratulations. But for a new person... What it feels like is that you've had this experience and they're going to have to go through something similar. Whether it sounds good to, to you or not, you're actually letting people know that you've had this experience that they haven't had yet. And therefore, you are marginally, or a lot, depending on your mindset, better than they are. There's, you know, there's people who say, oh, God is wonderful. He dealt with me in the middle of a meeting one morning. I burst uncontrollably into tears and everybody stared at me. A new person in church does not want to hear that that's how God deals with people. That they're thinking, holy moly, what if I'm sitting in a service and suddenly sort of God appears before me and says, cry and make a fool of yourself. Do I have to do that? I mean, I mean you may not think that, but that... They were the sort of thoughts that I had, that somehow uncontrollably I was going to do things I didn't want to do because God was dealing with me. And so we, we can unconsciously haze new people in church just by telling them our experience. We need to make sure that the first thing we say to people when they walk in the door is welcome home. Jesus paid the price for you and your sin, not you. So don't try and make it hard for others. What does it cost? It should be nothing. The second point, how bad is your sin? We need to have a competition right now. I want you to just to line up and whisper in my ear what your worst sin is and I'll give a prize to the, to the worst one. Look back, look back verse, in Luke 15 verse 11. It took, this part of the story says, A few days later, the younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. So he went a long way from God. And he wasted all his money in wild living. Now, that term wild living is a polite biblical term. For He was debauched. I mean, he did everything you can think of and probably lots of things you couldn't think of. He, I mean, 
you think about it, he went at it so hard that he ran out of money. So badly was he addicted to what he was doing, he was starving himself to death. He looked, at, he looked at pig food, and when they say pods, I imagine that they're dried pods of fruit that's been harvested. There's not a lot of nutrition in them, and they're probably not very nice to eat. But he's looking at these things thinking, gourmet meal. But he wasn't allowed to eat them because the farmer had paid for them for the pigs, so he wasn't even allowed to eat that. So his sin was really bad, to the point that he was destitute. Now, you could try, but I'm sure most of us here couldn't even come close to the sort of sinning that this guy was, was into. And if we did, we'd end up like him. Homeless, basically. Drug-dependent, whatever. And so, you know, most of us can look at this, this person here and say, well, my sin, I don't think, is quite as bad as his. And so if yours isn't as bad as his, and his father forgave him, then I can guarantee you that your Father in heaven will forgive you. It doesn't actually matter how bad your sin is. God's first words to you when you repent are going to be, welcome home. The third thing, I love this one, who knows about your sin? See, most of us like to keep our sin secret. We don't tell anybody and we do it in private, just in case God finds out. Listen to this. Luke 15.30. We've got this older brother here. He's a goody two-shoes who's been slaving in the fields all his life. So he doesn't, he doesn't hear all the gossip. But it says, he says, Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes... You celebrate by killing the fattened calf. The, the older brother, this guy was in a land far away, a distant land, it says. And yet somehow the news had got back to his brother that he was hanging out with prostitutes, that he was doing these things. So not only had he disgraced his family, but I can bet you the whole community knew what he'd been up to. They had been on at his father about the disgrace that... This younger son had brought on the family. Every, everybody in the, in the town, everybody in the, in, in the state or territory or, or whatever thing they had there um, knew what this younger son had done. His sin was public. The shame that he had brought on his father was incredible. And his father had to go into the marketplace to, coping with the fact that people were sniggering behind their hands. You know, he's the guy, his son, his son went, did you hear what he, I heard he did. You know, and, and with seven of them all at once. And, it, and so he had to hold his head high and, and continue his life because he was being shamed, not for something he'd done, but for something his youngest son had done. And so unlike most of your sins, that you think nobody knows about, except I'll, I'll let you into a secret. God knows them anyway. Just a, a little spoiler there. He was a, a total public disgrace. And yet, the first words his father said were, welcome home. I want the heart of this church, the heart of every service to be, welcome home. 
to every person who thinks they're unworthy to approach Jesus and be in relationship with him. See, Jesus paid for our sins. He doesn't care how bad they are. And let me tell you, they're all public knowledge in heaven. George, can I get you up here? Can I, can I get you all to stand too, please? Because I, 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 I want us to bring encouragement into people's lives. So I, if you're here this morning, and I know a lot of people pray regularly for their unsaved friends and family. And if you, if you know somebody, if you're praying for somebody, and they struggle with the idea that Jesus would ever say to them, if they walked into a church or even if they just, wherever they were, wanted to speak to God. If, if, if you know somebody who would struggle to believe that Jesus would ever reach out his hand to them and say, welcome home. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to come out on the altar. I want to, I want to pray with you and encourage you to actually be that person or to facilitate something in their lives so that they will understand that the only thing Jesus wants to say to them is welcome home. Now you may also be here in church and you may struggle with the fact that Jesus would say to you, welcome home. You hold him at an arm's length because you're, you're afraid that no matter how good you pretend to be, Jesus was nev would never accept you. I want you to take a step out on the altar and say, I'm prepared to believe. I'm prepared to take that extra step into God's arms to allow him to say, welcome home. And even if you're, you re recognize that you're a person who's actually prevented somebody from being welcomed into God's kingdom, you may look at a time and you've said, well, I, I stuffed that up. I was judgmental. I was... I was a barrier rather than a facilitator into bringing someone to Jesus. I want you to come and, and repent. Now, I want all people to come together. I'm not going to divide you into sections so that I can say, well, you need to repent. And you're... If, if, if you fit any of those criteria, I want you to come onto this altar this morning. And I want us to pray that today is a new day. Today is something... A start that we can either work in somebody's life, we can work in our own life, we can change things around because of the power of Jesus Christ in us. If you'd like to pray and be encouraged this morning, I invite you right now, just come out onto the altar. Whether it's to pray for yourself, whether it's somebody else, whatever it is, the power of the Holy Spirit is here. Just first row, step forward just slightly, that's it. Just give people a bit more room.
just want everybody, if you'd reach your hands out to these people. Let's begin to pray. Let's begin to believe for something new, something vibrant, something alive. Lord, I pray the blessing and the touch of your Holy Spirit. Lord, I thank you that through the touch and laying on of hands that people's hearts are renewed, that there is a fire birthed in the spirits of your people to say, welcome home. A desire to bring people closer to you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Welcome home. Welcome home our friends and families and neighbours welcome home to your saints welcome home to those who are lost alone fearful welcome home to those who feel they don't belong welcome home to those who feel they don't deserve it welcome home Welcome home. Holy God, let your words, let your spirit, let your word touch these people. Let their hearts be full of two words. Welcome home. Welcome home. Lord, I pray right now that every person here under the sound of my voice, through the power of your Holy Spirit, is a doorway into your kingdom, representing a door that is always open, arms that are always wide, with a voice that whispers into people's ears, welcome home, welcome home. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Thank you, Lord, for your forgiveness. We thank you, Lord, that you paid the price so that we don't have to. Thank you, Lord. Amen. If you guys can make your way back to your seats. Just in closing, uh, you can all be seated again, just for just quickly. You may be here this morning. You may be a bit like me on my first morning, sitting here thinking, "Am I the only person here who doesn't know what's going on?" Or you may have been in church a while and. You think you know what's going on, but you haven't approached a relationship with Jesus with the idea that he would ever say, welcome home to you. Or you may have even been in church even longer. You may 
pray regularly, you may read the word regularly. But you worry that, you know, if, if you died today, whether St. Peter would stand at the gates of heaven and say, welcome home, or, sorry, that way. I mean, if we have fear inside us, it's hard to let God in. So I want to offer an opportunity. If you've never asked Jesus into your life, you've never taken that, that plunge to say, okay, I'm here, Lord, so that he can say, welcome home. Or if you've done it before, but you know that you've, you've run off to a distant land, perhaps more than once, then let me assure you that the response from Jesus is still, welcome home. Or if you're not sure that the gates of heaven are open for you, then I want to give you that assurance that the only thing you'll hear at those gates is welcome home. If you're in any one of those three situations this morning, I'm going to ask you in a moment to raise your hand so that I can see it. And I'd love to pray a prayer of invitation with you so that Jesus can indeed utter those words to you personally. Welcome home. But first, could I ask everybody just to close their eyes, bow their heads so there's no one looking around. And if that is you, while all eyes are closed, can you just raise your hand for me nice and high right now? And I'll acknowledge that hand. You can put it down and I'd love to pray a prayer to invite Jesus into your life. Thank you, I see that hand. Can I get you all to open your eyes and stand to your feet? I want us to pray this prayer together and, if, and for the person who put their hand up, I want you to mean and believe this in your heart that today Jesus is opening his arms to you and saying, Welcome home. Repeat after me. Lord Jesus, today is a new day. You are now my Lord and my Savior. From this day forward, I am going to walk in relationship with you. My old life is gone. My new life is just beginning. I joyfully recognize and accept your invitation of welcome home. In Jesus' name, amen.